Well, as we take a seat, let's pray. When Jesus encounters the father with the boy with the evil spirit, uh, Jesus says to him, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaims, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And so we do pray that same prayer, Father, this evening, that as those who trust in the Lord Jesus, we pray that you would sweep away every uh, wrong idea, every idol, uh, everything we hold uh, that is not as the Lord Jesus reveals himself to be. Please, Father, help us to overcome our unbelief, help us to believe more, and help us uh, by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, and um, welcome to our second installment of Equip. And uh, as Woody mentioned, this is an opportunity to drill down into what we were set up, setting up last week, uh, last month, rather, on this idea of union with Christ. And I'm going to get you straight into it, if that's okay. On the top of your handouts is a scenario. Uh, just say it's no one at church, so you won't recognize yourself, hopefully. Um, but it is a real example that I've come across in the past, uh, names have changed, some of the details. But in groups, just spend three minutes, uh, read through the scenario, just share how you might help that person, what you think the issues are, and how you might help that person. Let's come back together there. Um, well done. How do we think we might help Karen? Uh, just, so, just to say, we've got Roman mics coming around just to help our friends on Zoom. Uh, as loud as your voice is, I'm sure it won't carry uh, through the internet. So um, please just uh, speak into the mic. Hopefully I won't pin anyone off. Um, how would we help Karen? I realise three minutes probably isn't enough, but that's a start. Yes. Behind you, Ellie. Graham. So we think it would be a good idea to ask her why she is afraid. And what, what, the, what the reason or the thinking is behind her fears. Okay. Thank you. Other people? Just going to go quite quick fire on this. I, I said to direct her to the Bible and, and remind her of what she does believe and why she became a Christian in the beginning. Yep. Thank you. All good instincts, listening, take someone to the Bible. Send her to Christianity Explored. Send her to Christianity Explored. <laughs> yeah. Together with everything that's just been said, personal testimony. So I'm going to be a bit naughty, right? Um, this person did know their Bible very well. They were brought up very well. They had been on Christianity Explored, or, or equivalent. Um, I guess it felt a bit like, even though they knew the kind of intellectual stuff, there was a bit of a disconnect there. Anyone want to... I realise I didn't put that in, but uh, Rob, Rob Hamm? I, I just... I, I wonder whether this person has close friends who are kind of speaking the gospel to her on a regular mm -hmm. basis and kind of applying it personally in, in her life and kind of able... Whether, whether she has the people able to speak to her on a personal level about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, really, really helpful. <laughs> what, um, let's have final wise words from David. 
Um, well, she seems to be afraid of facing judgment. So yes. perhaps she doesn't understand um, that uh, Jesus has died that death for her so that um, God would see her as he sees Jesus. But, um, yeah, I think you'd have to gently explain that to her. Yes, so thank you for pointing that out. There's something here, isn't there, about judgment and that fear of facing God, not being confident of um, her standing with him. Uh, so that's, does that make sense? So I think we've got good instincts. The gospel's the answer to that, brilliant. The Bible tells us about that, brilliant. We can testify to that in our lives, great. But it's something around this kind of idea of judgment, um, which introduces us to this idea that we're going to look at in this first session, of this idea of justification. Um, you may have heard justification. Uh, it's another word for kind of um, uh, righteous. Uh, how do I get righteous with God? How do I be put in the right with God? Um, that kind of idea. We're going to think a bit more about that. And I want to introduce us to our friend, Martin Luther. He's there on... Um, uh, he's no longer with us. Uh, but uh, he is there on the sheets, Martin Luther. I was chatting back in finance to a history buff, and um, a friend of mine wasn't a Christian, utterly obsessed with Martin Luther. Undoubtedly, he thought he was the most influential person in history. I did point out he was the second most influential, uh, but there we go. <laughs> and for him, uh, he faced some of this terror uh, that, uh, that Karen uh, experienced as well. Um, just to introduce us to Martin Luther's world, um, I don't know if we can put one of these pictures on the screen behind me. Uh, Luther was a product, he was around in the 16th century, and he was a real product of the kind of medieval view of things. And in the medieval world, they, were, uh, they took judgment and sin very seriously. Uh, so there were lots of these sort of pictures painted on churches and cathedrals. And uh, I haven't got my laser pointer, perhaps someone at the back could do it. Uh, but you'll see up in the top, there's Christ in his glory, and he's judging everyone. You'll see on the left-hand side here, people being brought out of their graves. Um, sorry if you're you know, a bit squeamish about these things. Uh, and uh, they're being judged, and you'll see over on the right-hand side, and it's hard to make out, some are being taken off to glory, some are being taken off uh, to, to purgatory and to hell. Um, there's another wood carving, I think, uh, from right around when Luther was around. Just the next slide for us. Thank you. And this is a pretty terrifying picture. Christ up there at the center, uh, foot on the uh, sphere, uh, demonstrates his power. And then everyone lined up for judgment, some going to glory, but lots, the real focus here is on uh, people descending into to hell and some pretty grotesque figures uh, at the bottom there. So this you know, imagine seeing this around. This was pretty terrifying. And if you, like Martin Luther, took sin seriously, this prospect would keep you up at night, if not uh, the whole time. And the answer to that was this kind of very complicated system of penance, uh, which was around in the medieval world. Uh, penance was this idea that you dealt with your sin, you were justified uh, through this cycle. Um, you were born in original sin, um, and then uh, you were baptized to cleanse yourself of that sin at baptism. But every time you sinned, you would descend into a state of ungrace. Uh, you would then need to do confession and penance, and you would be restored to this 
uh, state of grace here. So if you kind of imagine a line across there, you want to be this side of the line. As you sinned, you confessed, you did penance, and you were restored back. And then hopefully uh, you go off to heaven. Any um, undone stuff is uh, dealt with in purgatory. So for Luther, this was the kind of system that he grew up with. And um, the priests, we read, were utterly exhausted with Luther because he thought to himself, have I covered everything? Have I confessed enough? Apparently they were got up in the middle of the night to hear his confession. And every time he did his confession, then there was another sin he thought of and another sin and another sin. And, you know, have a day off uh, was that kind of idea. But you've got to give it to Luther, haven't you? If you take sin seriously, if you have this kind of image of Christ, which is this final judgment, actually, if your sin is not dealt with, well, there's nothing more important. Even sleep is not more important than dealing with that. But Luther saw something absolutely world-changing and life-changing in the Bible as that became more well-known. And I wonder if you could turn to Romans chapter 3, and um, like we did last time, if, if um, people were happy, could they just read the verse? Uh, Ellie pass, if Ellie passed the mic to someone on her table, if they're happy. Uh, Romans chapter 3, someone shout out a page number. 1130. And if someone could read uh, this very well-known verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, or, and 11. Uh, cool. Uh, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Thank you. So this is at the end of Paul's kind of summary of the human predicament. And his conclusion is, there is no one righteous. The same word for justified. No one can stand before God. Uh, So line up the whole of humanity which I'm told if you did that, it kind of fits on the Isle of Wight. Imagine doing that. There wouldn't be a single person off that island who could stand before God. I don't know about you. There's times where I read that and think, yeah, but Rob? Uh, But even Paul says, no, no one righteous, not even one. And the thing is, Luther agreed with that. He understood sin. He understood that his sin needed dealing with. But the question is, how do you deal with it? And then he went on and read uh, chapter 3, verse 23 to 25. I wonder if someone could read that for us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was, show, this was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Thank you very much. Um, fantastic verses, of course. But what was groundbreaking for Luther was this idea that we are justified freely by his grace um, as a gift. So a gi- the thing about a gift is you don't pay for it, you don't do a sonic or penance to get it, you receive it. Uh, In fact, if you don't just receive a gift, it's quite offensive to the gift giver. Uh, And Luther saw this utterly staggering truth that God, in his complete grace, has sent Jesus to die, to forgive him fully, justify him as a free gift. Uh, So that utterly transformed uh, Luther Uh, He said uh, this in one of his um, works. He said, 
For so you have heard, and it is always preached, that this one article preserves the church of Christ. When it is lost, Christ and the church are lost. This article is the sun, the day, the light of the church and of all believers. What Luther is saying there is that the health of the church depends on this very doctrine. Forget this and the church is lost. Get this right and it's like the sun on a beautiful day. So this idea of justification is utterly central, isn't it? And it's a huge uh, deal. But the question is, how does, that, um, how does that help us? Now, you may think that's pretty obvious, but let me set up a few ways I think uh, this idea has come under um, question over, over the centuries. See, the first problem is the problem that Karen faces, isn't it? She understands the cross. She understands that actually her sin's been forgiven. The thing is, it doesn't feel very real to her. At those moments in the night where she's feeling panicky, uh, Jesus dying for her sins feels quite cut off from her. So how does this doctrine help her uh, when she's facing those sort of things? Another question might be, it's a bit arbitrary, isn't it? We talk about this idea that uh, we're in the dock, we face judgment, uh, the judge's hammer's about to fall on us, but at that very moment, Jesus steps in and takes our sin for us, and we're let off free. It's a nice image, isn't it? But the thing is, it doesn't kind of match up with reality. I haven't been to court. Um, not, yeah, no, let's not, yeah, no, I've not been to court, pretty much. <laughs> uh, not been in a dock, but but I'm pretty sure that that is not how the court system works. Uh, if someone dived in at that very point and said, Rob, I'll take your speeding ticket for you, um, the judge would say, hang on a minute. No, that doesn't work like that. So isn't this kind of arbitrary? This is uh, one objection uh, raised uh, to Luther and to, uh, to others. And then more recently, uh, there's been a bit of a questioning whether the Bible teaches this at all. Um, you may know someone called Tom Wright, uh, quite a well-known author, um, he is one of the uh, a few figures uh, that questions uh, whether actually this is what the Bible teaches. Um, he says, righteousness is not an object, a substance or a gas which can be passed across the courtroom. In other words, um, Tom Wright's saying, look, this idea that somehow Jesus' righteousness kind of drifts along and becomes ours so that we're forgiven... It, it kind of doesn't make sense with the Bible, and we'll get to, um, I do disagree with him, but we'll get to, to that uh, in a bit. So this idea of justification, it's a fantastic thing that Luther discovered. It's set world history on the trajectory it has uh, for the last 500 years. But how does it help me in the here and now? How does it help people like Karen? And why isn't this kind of just something arbitrary? Uh, I wonder what you think the answer might have something to that. It has something to do with union with Christ. You'll be pleased to know. Um, let's do some work uh, back in groups. I wonder, um, I've got two pictures of two people there, two figures. Um, turn up those verses from Romans over the page, and I wonder if you could spot from Romans, who are those two figures? So give them a name. And ask yourself, what does one, each one contribute? Who are they? What do they contribute? Who are the two characters? What does each contribute? And then there's a bonus question. Um, I wonder if someone could write this for our Zoom friends. Um, how does each relate to me? 
So two people, what do they contribute and how does that relate to me? Okay, let's, uh, let's come back together. Um, okay, uh, who are the two figures? Let's see if we got this. Adam and Christ, Adam and Christ. yep. Just say that on the mic for people on Zoom. Adam and Christ. Thank you, Adam and Christ. Um, what does each contribute? Let's start with Adam. Into the mic. Death. Death? Sin and death. Sin and death, yes. Brilliant. Uh, well, not brilliant, but thank you. Uh, and uh, the other figure, what does he contribute? Someone be brave in the mic for us. Redemption. Redemption, yeah. Anything else? Life and righteousness. Life and righteousness, yeah. That idea of justification there. So, um, uh, where, where am I? Um, Yes, so um, the reason I think this is so important is because we find it very difficult, I think, to think of ourselves as connected to others. Um, When I was growing up, there was this fantastic song by Destiny's Child called Independent Woman, and uh, yeah, no one's heard of it. Never mind, I'll move on. Uh, And it had had these, um, these, these words in, I depend on me, I depend on me. Um, I thought for a long time it was I depend on meat, but it was I depend on me. And it's this kind of idea in the culture, especially when I was growing up, that um, I depend on me. I don't need a man. I don't need a woman. I don't need anyone else uh, to help me out. Uh, And that's kind of the idea we kind of instinctively pick up on. Uh, But actually, the Bible gets us to see not ourselves as isolated individuals, but as connected to one another. Um, so let me give you an example on this. In 1939, uh, some of us may remember that Neville Chamberlain did this announcement. He said, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you that now there's no such undertaking by Germany and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Now that one act affected everyone in the nation. It didn't matter if you were pacifist didn't matter if you were too old to fight in the war, didn't matter if you disagreed with the war, but actually that announcement by Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister, affected you. Um, My grandparents were 18 at that point. Um, That announcement changed their life, and they were forever uh, talking about it afterwards. Uh, In some respects, it's changed my life. Uh, Their first husbands both died in the war. Uh, They got remarried. It means I've got half-uncles. So, in some sense, I've lived with the consequence of that uh, one statement. I never met Neville Chamberlain. Uh, I don't think I was alive at the same time he was. But do you see the point that this one man makes a decision that actually I'm connected to, whether I like it or not? And the same, Paul says, is true of Adam. This one man's act affected us all. He is, as theologians call, the federal head of humanity. It's just a very technical way of saying that actually he represents us. And you might think to yourself, well, where's the evidence for that? But of course, it's all around us, isn't it? 
because Adam brought death to humanity. So as our bodies deteriorate, as we go to one too many funerals, as we get indications of our own health uh, going through ups and downs, that is all a reminder, isn't it, that we are connected to this one man's act of disobedience. But the amazing thing is, is just as much as that is true, all the opposite is true. Because he also goes on to say that we're now connected to Christ. He is our new federal head. He's Adam 2.0, if you like. And, and here's the incredible thing. Just as much as Adam's one act affects me today, well, so does Christ's one act of dying affect me. In fact, Paul says it's even more that Jesus affects me. So here's the thing. Just as much as I'm connected to Adam, well, I'm connected to Christ. Just as much as I'm connected to that one act by Adam, well, so it is that I'm connected to that one act by Jesus. Uh, even before I was born, Adam sinned, and it had consequences for me. And even before I was born, Christ died, and it had consequences for me. So when you see it like that, you start to see this isn't some sort of arbitrary justice. This isn't some sort of um, letting me off the hook from some sort of unrelated party. Actually, I'm deeply connected, you might say united with Christ, and so that his one act becomes uh, beneficial to me. So what does that connection mean? Well, two things, which we haven't got enough time to go into detail on, but two fabulous things. First of all, it means just as if I've never sinned. See, this real connection for Paul actually changes us uh, fundamentally. Uh, I wonder if someone could read Romans 6, uh, verses 3 to 6 for us. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that, you should, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Notice what Paul says here, and the tenses really matter here. Notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, you will die with Christ. He says, you have died with Christ. He won't say, you might be, you are. It's all happened. Um, I... Uh, this, sorry if you've heard this illustration before. I've used it several times, but um, I think it's a, a helpful one. Um, but it's like going on an aeroplane. Um, there's a picture of me on my holiday. I think I was in Madrid. Uh, I get very excited at the travelling bit, and um, there's me taking a photo um, of the aeroplane. Um, you can give you get a prize if you can tell me what plane that is afterwards. Um, but uh, d- sorry, that's not helpful. We're going to be thinking about the plane now. Uh, but with an aeroplane, you go where the plane goes, don't you? In fact, it's a good thing you go where the plane goes. You don't want to be on the outside or left behind. So as the plane goes up, you go up. As the plane cruises, you cruise. 
as the plane goes down to land, well, hopefully you go down to land as well. And it's the same image here. We're wrapped up in Christ. So as he dies, Paul says, we really died. And as he's raised, we will really be, or we are raised and will be raised with him. And so we could go around to each other and say, hey, when's your funeral? And the right answer would be to say, well, AD 30 or AD 33. I mean, that would be a bizarre conversation, but, but, it, but it's theologically true, isn't it? Because actually, because the moment we're in Christ, we are in the aeroplane, we die with him. And that means that actually, because he has died and we've died with him, the penalty truly has been paid. This isn't some sort of arbitrary sort of bit of legal fiction, as people used to call it, or, or, or kind of fiddling around with things. This is a genuine penalty that has fallen on Christ, but me in Christ has fallen uh, and been paid for uh, by Christ uh, with me. So that means that when Satan accuses me, I can say, look, I've really died because I'm in Christ. The penalty has really been paid for my sin because Christ has died and I'm in him. It's what the song um, puts it, the song, um, the very famous song puts it this way, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's what Paul says, isn't it? That actually we've been crucified with him, we've been buried with him, and our sin has been dealt with. But it's not just that our sin has been dealt with, something else has happened. Uh, Going back to our um, purgatory cycle, um, you'll remember that I said that actually you want to get above this line um, of a kind of state of God's favor. Um, If we say that actually justification is about saying just that we've never sinned, we're only getting up to this line. It's a bit like the kind of needle has just returned to zero or the kind of slate has been wiped clean, but actually, there's something even more that happens. And I wonder if um, we've got a bit of time to do this. In groups, could we just look up those verses? Um, perhaps some start at the beginning, some at the end, one or two in the middle. We'll just have two minutes on this. Just look at those verses and see what it says about uh, being righteous. Um, let's mix it up a bit. Anyone take Philippians 3? Tell us what Philippians 3 is about. Or v- verse 9, rather. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Thank you. Do you want to talk to us about that? What does that... S- put, it, put it in your own words, or... No, the mic's coming back. <laughs> Quite to that, but um, it's a bit more personal. I mean, ultimately, it, it's Christ, but, you know, it's, it's 
it's not just staying removed. There's a personal element to it, but that's pretty much as far as we're going. Great, thank you. Uh, others? Uh, so, one Corinthians. Anyone do one Corinthians? No one started at the beginning. Just tell us um, what you, what it tells us about righteousness. I've lost it. Sorry, I've lost it. <laughs> Um, we've got uh, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Yes. Where from? Christ. From, yes. from Christ. Because yes. we're in Christ. So he is our righteousness. He, he, yes. Yeah, wonderful. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Anyone get that one? No one got 2 Corinthians uh, oh, great. Over there. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Carly. <laughs> God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wonderful. Do you want to say anything about that? God sent Jesus who had no sin to pay for us. Wonderful. Wonderful. And... Um, very, very helpful. And that the flip side of that, uh, the second part of that is that absolutely paid for our sin and we've become the righteousness of God. We've become uh, right before God. Uh, so it's not just that we kind of are moving the, the needle back to zero or wiping the slate clean, but actually there's a positive righteousness here. Um, theologians talk about something called double imputation. That's something to impress your friends with tomorrow, double imputation, which means that, um, well, like Carly said, that uh, Christ takes on our sin. Uh, he, he, um, to, to impute something is to kind of transfer it. Uh, his uh, right standing before God is taken over to us. But more than that, there's a double imputation. There's this positive righteousness that becomes ours. So as God looks on us, he doesn't just see forgiven sinners. He does see that but he sees us with the righteousness of his son. Uh, when I clocked that, that just utterly changed the way I read things like the Gospels. Because as we read of Christ's righteousness, uh, there's a bit of me that feels the kind of hammer blow of thinking I can never be like that. So when we see Christ praying, uh, I think I can't pray like that. Or when we see Christ's compassion on the unclean or the poor or uh, the marginalized, I think, I can never love like that. Or when we see Christ perse uh, persevere under immense struggles, like in the garden or in the desert, I think, I can't do that. But the thing is that God sees me like he sees his son. And so as Christ does those things, yes, I'm showing up for my need of him, but I'm also seeing a description of how God sees me uh, because of what Christ has done. So can you see, union with Christ really does help us in this whole area of justification because it's not this kind of arbitrary justice. It's not that some unrelated third party comes into the courtroom and then lets me off my speeding ticket. But actually, it is really me that's condemned because I'm in Christ. And it's really me that's made right because I'm made right in him. Tom Wright... Um, He's one of those kind of lovable rogues for me uh, because he is utterly, um, he sees some really incredible things in Scripture. It really gets me thinking. Um, and uh, you might be quite fond of reading him as well. 
But on this topic, I think, I just think uh, he's got it wrong. Uh, because what he describes, I, agree, I disagree with as well. I, that's not how I see justification. But the thing is, that's not how the Bible presents justification. It doesn't present it as a gas kind of moving across a courtroom. Uh, nor is it how the church has understood justification, at least the Reformed church. Um, here's our second kind of Reformed superhero, John Calvin, with the world's most impressive beard. Um, also had an impressive intellect, quite different to Luther. Luther's your more kind of um, Harrison Ford figure. Uh, this uh, Calvin's probably... I don't know, data off Star Trek or something like that. Um, Sorry, these are giants of the faith. I shouldn't really compare them to (laughs) Star Trek characters. Um, But uh, he uh, was a lawyer. He really thought carefully about these things. And here's what he says about justification. First, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. So Calvin agrees that actually if we're not united to Christ, well, yes, Christ has died, but that's no value to us. Actually, you need this idea of union with Christ. You need to see that actually you and me are united to him to understand that we're really forgiven. I'm going to get to a bit more sort of kind of how this applies in the next session, but hopefully you can see already that for people like Karen, actually, hopefully this starts to help Because as you're convicted of sin and as you worry about what God thinks of you, you can look not just to yourself, but look to Christ uh, and what he's done. And perhaps um, if you're feeling a bit distant, perhaps uh, people like Karen, they understand the cross, but it just feels a bit remote. Well, actually seeing ourselves as first in Adam, I think helps because as, as much as we're affected by Adam, well, we're affected by Christ and his work. Actually, the next time I feel my body groan, I thought to myself, um, which happens quite often now of the wrong side of 40, um, is a reminder, isn't it, to think, actually, I'm in Adam, and this is a sign that I am. But as much as I'm in Adam, I'm much more in Christ. And I don't know about you, but this just blows me away when I think of God, his wisdom, his love, uh, that he has done something about the problem, not just to kind of wipe the slate clean, but to utterly forgive us, to make us right, and to call us his children. I've gone over time. I'm going to pray, and then um, would you tell us what we're going to do next? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And how we praise you, our Father, for your great goodness towards us. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we can truly be righteous, holy, redeemed. Please, by your Spirit, engrave that truth on our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As the final people find their seats, why don't I pray for us as we get back into thinking about how our union with Jesus Christ applies and changes our day-to-day. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful truth that through the death of Jesus Christ, we are united with him.
which means that our sin is washed away and you look at us just as if we'd never sinned. And if that wasn't enough, it is also we gain Christ's righteousness. And so it is just as if I'd always obeyed. Thank you for that wonderful reality for every single one of us who trusts in Jesus Christ. Help us now as we think about how that shapes our day-to-day lives. Lord, may your spirit be at work in us so that we may be changed by this and affected every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Woody. Okay, hopefully the sugar's kicking in about now. Let's um, go into groups. And I've got another scenario for you. Um, Probably this isn't a person I know, not someone at St. Mary's, but I think pretty typical of the Christian experience. So have a read through, a couple of minutes on how would you help Joey? What might you say? What's the issue here? Okay, let's uh, come back together then. Um, who wants to kick us off? Uh, how would we help Joey? What's the issue? Uh, social media, by the way, um, Facebook, Twitter, um, the TikTok, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so. We said he needs to switch that off. Sorry? He needs to switch that off. Uh, for the some of us, it's an addiction. But, yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. yeah. Did you have another answer? Sorry. Prayer and deliverance. Sorry? Prayer and deliverance. Prayer and deliverance. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Over here at the front. So, oh, Sam first. Sorry. I think, is it, a, in some senses, it's a good thing that he's recognising that these things are taking, are what put a gap between him and God, but I think he doesn't necessarily fully understand grace. So we'd want to say it's good that you're recognising this, but we want to point him towards Jesus. Yes. So there's something right here, isn't there? Very helpful. He knows Jesus. You know that should change him but it's something that's not happening. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so he's committing his life to Jesus, but he's not feeding on the word or meeting with other Christians to actually renew his mind. So because he's, you never stand still, the devil can tempt you constantly. He needs to learn to feed on the word, really. Yeah, so thank you. So there's something ongoing that's a word that we need to ask uh, about. Yeah, Jill, what about Talking about the fact that um, when we're saved, we, we aren't just, we don't stop singing. Mm. And so we, he's not any different to any other Christian. Yes. So I think the reassurance for him is that, yep, been there, we've all been there. Yeah. And actually what you need, or what he, he needs is to, to learn to rely on Christ yeah. And not to try and do it in his own strength, not to try and turn his social media off in his own strength. Oh, we've got an argument. To... I love that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, carry on. <laughs> but to, to, to rely on God's, God's grace and God's help yeah. to, to help him. The Christian life isn't, it's, it's, a, it's a journey, and he's in a difficult bit. Anyway. Interesting. Okay. 
interesting. Sorry. Uh, and then Joe, Joey? Uh, Joe? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Cats out of the bag. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, to, I, to, I told him in common. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to do with Joe, just to be clear. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we we right. said he's, he's quite a feely person. He feels, yeah. he feels quite a lot of things. And we suspect that maybe he drifts towards the social media to feel better. Yeah. Um, so he should stop it. <laughs> and... Um, Right. <laughs> no, okay. All seriousness, he should stop it. But um, uh, it's stop feeling and rather do something about it. And you know. Thank you. Uh, let's, I'm going to bring it to a... I don't know what... what sorry, yeah, people are fanning themselves. Uh, I think um, I'm going to... This is going to be really frustrating. I'll give Jill the last word, sorry. And then I'm going to pause because we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, Jill. Just going out my head. Um, he probably perhaps needs help to understand how God sees him. Yeah. And that living as a Christian is about becoming what we already are. Mm. I'm going to stop us before we give away any more of the session. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go on to. So helpful because I think um, I suspect we, we've got a lot of ideas on this because, th- as Jill mentioned, this is something we we face. We may not be exactly like. Uh, this, but um, we all have things that we wouldn't want others uh, to know about, things we're ashamed of. Um, And what do we do with that? Um, And that's what we're going to be thinking about in this session. Um, If the last session was kind of coming into the Christian life, uh, what it means to become a Christian, this one is the ongoingness of the Christian life. How do we go on? And I guess as we've kind of highlighted there, when it comes to this kind of ongoingness of uh, the Christian life, um, I guess there'd be different attitudes. Uh, perhaps we think to ourselves, I know I need to be holy, but that's not possible. So someone like Joey, I guess, for, for a lot of times, he's just thinking, it's not even possible. I can't control it. It's kind of mindless scrolling, this internet searches and all that sort of thing. And so we kind of give up before we even start and think, I've got, not got the energy. I don't need to be doing that. It's not possible. Um, another attitude we might have is, uh, I think probably I've experienced these all at some point, uh, to think it's not important. Um, perhaps we're aware that this battle is the big battle of the kind of church as we know it. Uh, it's the thing that we often go back to. It's a big thing that kind of we created the Church of England. Uh, so we think that's the big battle. And because it's how we start the Christian life, that's the bit we want to get right. And so we think that actually the holiness bit the ongoingness of the Christian life, well, that's not important. As long as people got this bit right, uh, then that's fine. Um, or we might think it's not obvious, and I think we hinted at this. There were lots of ideas of what Joey should do. Should he read the Bible? Should he be meeting with Christians? Uh, should he be stopping it? Should he be stop feeling? Sorry to caricature. But, you know, genuinely, what do we do? Um, so there's a bit of confusion. How do we find that kind of motivation to change, to be holy? that type of thing. The answer to that, well, it's got something to do with union with Christ, you might have guessed. Let's think about this whole idea of uh, the word holy um, and think, what does it mean? What do we mean when we say in the word holy? I wonder what image, don't answer this, but what image pops into your head when I say the word holy? I can't, don't answer, a monk, someone who's a do-gooder, 
someone with uh, a kind of, um, what's the ring thing on their head? Halo. Halo, that's the one. All of those things, probably not what the Bible means for holy, uh, or pretty certainly it doesn't mean that. Um, let's, uh, let's have a look at uh, Genesis chapter 1, near the beginning of the Bible. Um, someone could read this for us. <laughs> Verses 26 to 27. (laughs) Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And could you read 27, please? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the big, thank you, Sue, very much. Um, The big idea here is this idea of image. It's probably one of the most debated passages in the whole of Scripture. Lots of people have ideas. Does it mean we've got a capacity to have relationship? Does it mean we've got extra wisdom? All those sorts of things. And I think there's an element of truth in lots of those things people say. But fundamentally, in the ancient world, the idea of an image uh, is the idea of a kind of representative. So um, the word image here, it pops up in Daniel. You remember Nebuchadnezzar set up an image of himself. And that wasn't just because he was quite into statues, but it it gave um, a marker that actually this was his domain, this was his territory. So a king couldn't be in a number of places at once. What they did, they set up images, and people knew that they were in charge. As you go into Heathrow Airport, there's a kind of coat of arms. It's kind of Great Britain uh, you're reminded of as you go through the doors. It's that kind of idea. So you and me, male and female here, are in the image of God. We're his representatives. And you see that in the context that actually we're given delegated authority over the creation But of course, that's not the end of the story. It's only the start. And um, that image uh, becomes marred. Um, I wonder, that picture on your sheets, there's no prizes, I'm afraid, but anyone know where that's from? War Memorial Park, brilliant. Whereabouts? Peace Garden. Garden. Anyone want any more about the Peace Garden? Anyone know about that? Sorry? It's a Peace Garden in War War Memorial Park, um, and uh, it was set up a few years ago, I think, opened by the Bishop of Basingstoke. And um, it was an idea that it, it's a peaceful garden to promote the idea of peace. And the idea was that right at the, big, the middle of it is this spherical metal ball. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a mirror ball. And the idea was that at the center of that garden is you. It's a reflection of yourself. Uh, and um, quite helpfully, as I saw that, I thought, well, actually, there's something to that in terms of the God of Eden, that actually at the center of it uh, is this kind of um, new humanity that's meant to reflect God. Um, but the thing is, I didn't see it as a proper ball. I saw it like this, where it's been dented and uh, unfortunately been vandalized. And um, I felt hugely sorry because it was quite a few thousand pounds uh, in damages. Um, and as much as I felt sorry for it and was quite saddened by it, I thought, this is an excellent illustration. <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't do it, uh, let me be clear on that, but I did think to myself, uh, wow, this is uh, set up for me. So, um, 
Yeah, because right at the center of that garden is not a perfect image. It's an image that's marred, uh, that's turned in on itself, the reformers used to say, and uh, doesn't reflect God as he truly is. So as we go to the center of that garden, it's no longer the image that God desires. But if we could look to Colossians chapter 1, it's been replaced by a stone ball now, so if you've got plans to vandalize it again, you can't. <laughs> and if someone could read verse 15 for us. Colossians 1.15. Thank you. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So hopefully that should be ringing bells, the word image, creation, firstborn. Um, but it's not Adam that's being spoken about. It is Christ, uh, the kingdom of the Son, in verse 13. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus is that true image so he's Adam 2.0. Uh, he's Adam as he truly should have been. Uh, you look at Christ and you see God. Uh, as Jesus says to his disciples, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Uh, he is truly living up to be in that image of God. But the thing is, that's not the end of the story. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, and if someone could read that for us. And it's not verse 28, which is probably the most quoted verse in the Bible, if not, or, or up there at least. But it's not verse 28, it's verse 29. Uh, Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Thank you. Who is it we're being conformed to? Well, he says, to the likeness of his son. So here's the thing. As God transforms us, as he brings us into his people, it's not for us to just sit in a kind of heavenly waiting room, waiting for our flight to be called. It is a, a kind of remaking project that actually uh, God is restoring us to what we should have been. He's making us into the image of Christ, who is the true image of God and as it should have been designed to be. Now, we might hear that, and we might think to ourselves, um, that sounds a bit scary, and, and I know people might hear that as a kind of, we lose all our uniqueness. Um, a bit like, sorry, this is a second Star Trek reference, but the Borg, you know the Borg in Star Trek, um, who kind of lose all personality to become part of this united thing. It's not like that. Um, I think as we see through Scripture, we see different personalities, different gifts, different backgrounds, different... Uh, all sorts of backgrounds, but God restores us uh, with all those unique features uh, to the image of his son. Now, when I saw that, that utterly transformed the idea of holiness for me, because I don't know about you, but holiness, I think, has got a bit of an image problem. We, we talk about holiness, and, and sometimes we hear, oh, that's the bit I've got to make an effort with. God's done all this great stuff to forgive me, but the holiness I've kind of got to muster up the energy to get. Or we might think that holiness um, is actually the opposite to the gospel. So we talk about uh, the gospel being a free gift, and the idea of holiness feels like we kind of got to do the effort bit there. 
Or perhaps we're kind of just tempted to kind of um, feel beaten up, the fact that we're not holy, uh, even though we know that this amazing stuff's happened. Uh, But actually, being holy isn't any of those things. It is fundamentally about being human, being who God created me to be. It's being becoming more like Christ, because becoming more like Christ is to become more like God, which is to become holy. The question is, of course, how do we get there? And um, I wonder if we could go into groups and look at those verses uh, under the definitively sanctified bit. Uh, perhaps some of us start with John, some of us start with 1 Corinthians. And think to yourself, what, does, what do these verses tell us about holiness? Just before we do, can I just give us a quick um, lesson? The word, um, sorry, uh, sanctified is another word for holy. We've got kind of two words. Um, whenever I read sanctify, I kind of think holify, if that makes sense. I think it's Latin. Someone could tell me Latin for holy. Is that right? Yeah, someone's nodding. Yeah, great. Thank you. Okay, anyone happy to tell us, um, uh, just anyone, what, what do these verses tell us about holiness, being sanctified? Anyone happy? Over here, Joey. It's going to stick. Sorry. I'm going to pass on to my brother, Steve. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> See what you said. What am I saying, Joe? So we were looking at... Um, uh, 15.3, and actually what resonated with me when you, when you said, actually, we look at holiness as our effort, what we have to do to become like Christ, and you were flipping that round, and I'm wondering whether 15.3 is doing that, because 15.3 says you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So Thank you are already holy because of what Christ has done. Thank you. Thank you. The way you look at me so intently and tell me that, just so encouraging, so thank you. Uh, yes, anything to add from 1 Corinthians uh, uh, thank you. So I, I think that um, we're clean because Christ has paid for the sin and shame, but I think often, I think in the case of Joey, that actually we feel ashamed and then we start to try and bear our own sin and shame instead of understanding that Christ has already bared it and that we can move on and we can be free from that, which is the wonderful bit. Yeah, thank you. Um, we'll come back to Joey, uh, but yeah, there's, there's something here that's changed. Um, thank you. Anything from 1 Corinthians? There was a couple of verses there. Anyone look at 1 Corinthians? Thank you, Ruth. Um, it says we're washed, sanctified, so we're holy. Um, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So it's not just through Jesus, but it's also the work of the Spirit. It is also the work of the Spirit, yes. So God the Father, Son, Spirit all work to, to achieve this. But the thing is, I think we brought this out, is notice the tense when this is done. Um, it is, we are sanctified, we are made um, clean, we are washed. Um, and in fact, in chapter 6 uh, of 1 Corinthians, he's Paul's very clear on this when this uh, takes place because he says, uh, this is what some of you were, but now you're washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So here's the point. I think Steve said this so um, beautifully that we are holy already. 
we are sanctified. It's not that we're waiting for our sanctification, although we'll come back to this in a moment, um, but, but, but actually because of Christ, he makes us holy. Um, just to bring this out, the, um, going back to our friend Martin Luther, he uh, is a fascinating character. In, in, um, in the year 1520, he thought he was basically going to be assassinated, and he had pretty good reason for that. So he, he basically wrote all his what, like, major works uh, in that year. Um, and one of the works he wrote, which is an absolutely beautiful book, I come back to it uh, every now and again, is called On the Freedom of a Christian. And uh, it's this story he talks about, uh, about this um, rich ruler who marries what he calls a harlot. Um, I think that's an old-fashioned word for a lady who... Yeah, let's not go there. But, 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 but it, I guess the, the reason I'm hesitating in saying that is because it's quite a shocking image. And, and Luther uses that image of the harlot and says that what has happened, that Christ has married the harlot, and um, actually everything that this rich ruler owns now becomes hers. And here's what he says. I've put it on your uh, sheet. Here this rich and godly bridegroom Christ marries this poor wicked harlot, redeems her from all her evil, and adorns her with all his good. It is now impossible that her sin should destroy her, since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up in him. And since she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as of her own, in which she can confidently set aside against, uh, against all her sins in the face of death and hell, and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ in whom I have believed has not sinned, and all his mine, and all mine is his. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? But it's a biblical picture that actually Christ connects himself to us, and because of that, we're not seen as the harlot. We're seen with his beauty, his holiness, uh, his righteousness. So the first thing to get about sanctification or becoming holy is that we already are. Um, the theologians call this definitive sanctification or positional sanctification, that idea that we're, we're, we've changed categories from unholy to holy. Or we might say that sanctification is not achieved but received. Now, how does this help? Well, it's when we're trying to go on in the Christian life, it's not that we're becoming something we're not. Um, I love football, and in my head, I'm Lionel Messi, but my legs haven't yet got that memo. As much as I try, people shout at me on the football pitch, and I say, no, I'm trying. I'd love to be a fantastic football player, but I'm useless. Uh, and I guess if you went up to Messi, or if I went up to him and said to him, look, Messi, how do you do it? What, what do you tell your legs uh, to kick the ball in the way you do? How do you do that sort of little jiggle uh, around the players? What do I need to tell my legs to do or waist to, to move? I guess he'll look at me pretty confused because he just plays because that's who he is. He's just such a good footballer that it's all very natural for him. He doesn't try being a great footballer. He just goes out and plays. And there's something similar here with the holiness. It's not that we're kind of fighting against the grain, becoming something we never could be, but actually we're going with the flow of what God is making us to be. Um, there's a great book uh, by a guy called Kevin DeYoung uh, on your sheets. It's called Whole 
in our holiness. And he talks about, um, this book is about reclaiming some of this teaching on holiness. And uh, he says this very helpfully. Well, in, in fact, he picks up on this whole idea that is around in our kind of culture of becoming our real selves. You hear that, don't you? Become who you are. And Kevin DeYoung wonderfully picks up on it and says, well, God does want you to be the real you. He does want you to be true to yourself. But the you he's talking about is the you that you are by grace, not by nature. God doesn't say, relax, you were born this way. But he does say, good news, you were reborn another way. So coming back to Joey, I think someone said this, but we need to start, don't we, by reminding him and ourselves who we are. Actually, God sees us as holy. He doesn't see the websites. He sees us as righteous. We're married to Christ. But I guess the question is, why are we not there? And, and why do we have those kind of struggles that Joey speaks about? Well, because um, there's another way of speaking about holiness. And um, just finally in our groups, I wonder if we could look at those verses uh, by the bike. Uh, and uh, let's do a couple of minutes on those and then we'll come back together. Okay, anyone happy to share what, what these verses teach us about holiness, sanctification? Thanks, John. Yeah, so we, uh, we were looking at uh, John, um, following on from Naturally. what we did before. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, it's a great name. And uh, yeah, we were really saying, thinking about it back in relation to Joey, really, in terms of thinking about, well, to bear fruit, because before we thought that's quite a difficult thing to do, uh, but actually just taking it back to his source and seeing that because we're made holy by him, therefore, um, if we remain with him by believing that, then you know naturally your, your feelings and your output changes. Yeah, so there's a, there's a kind of command, there's an ongoingness, abide in me. Yeah, really helpful. Yeah, thank you. Um, anyone look at the other verses? What does it say about holiness? Don't leave Ellie Ways in there. <laughs> Rob, thank you. Sorry? John. Uh, the Ephesians 1 talks about kind of growing up into Christ. So yep. a, a process of yeah, grow, growing up, maturing yep. into, into Christ. Yeah, so really helpful. We are in the body already. He is the head, but there's, a, there's an ongoingness, there's a growing up into. Um, and for completion, anyone look at 2 Corinthians over the front here? <laughs> Hello? Yeah, we said it's a process. It's the sanctification is a, it's a, it's an ongoing process. You're not immediately made holy, that you have to live this life to get there. And also Romans 6, 1 to 2 is, basically says um, not to continue sinning, so that's the, that action on your part to war against this sin and mortify it. Thank you. So um, what we bring out really helpfully is this ongoingness, um, but the thing is we don't leave what we've just seen at the door. So both are true, that we're positionally sanctified, we're, we're, we're definitely sanctified, but actually there's an ongoingness in the Christian life as well. And um, how does that work? Well, um, I guess 
coming back to the marriage uh, idea, um, I guess this helps me uh, in my own experience because I was married on the 31st of March 2007. And um, you might ask me, at what point was I married? Well, legally in the Church of England, even though I got married at a Baptist church, but legally, the, um, the, 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 the moment the minister declares, I present this, um, I can't even remember what you say now, I've done it so many times, <laughs> husband and wife, that is the moment legally you're married, uh, as soon as those words are, saying, uh, are said. Um, but when was I married? Well, because for a long time, I'm pretty slow at kind of getting to grips with reality. Um, I was pretty independent. I lived in uh, our house on my own for a few months, and um, I quite liked being on my own for a bit. And then suddenly I've got this um, Claire coming in, and she's got her own ideas. She's got her own toothbrush uh, and that sort of thing. She wants me to wash and, you know, those type of things. It it kind of changes things. Um, I remember there was a definite moment where I walked into a card shop to buy, I think, Claire a, a card or something, and thinking, oh, I've got to get one for a wife oh, that's me, I'm married, and, you know, I'm a husband, and, you know, it's still clicking in. So, in some sense, it's, it's like that, that the verdict has been made, we are married, we are in Christ, we are made holy, but actually it takes a long time for uh, that reality to catch up with us, and we spend our lives uh, growing into the head, uh, reflecting uh, that in us. That doesn't mean we kind of forget that, as I say, and then kind of go under our own steam to try and get holy. But there is an activeness to it, uh, as John highlighted from John's Gospel, uh, that Jesus says, you are already clean, but you're to abide in me. And in Romans 6, as Franz uh, pointed out to us, uh, that uh, Paul says that you are in Christ, but he says, uh, do not let... um, I can't remember what he says, but I haven't got it in front of me. Someone tell us, verse 12, rather than me paraphrasing it. I think he says, yes, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So there's an activeness. Uh, there's an action uh, there. Um, one of my, sorry to use lots of family illustrations, but I'm very, bo- very boring. I don't really do much other than um, go between church and family. So um, I'm <laughs> sorry. I need to get out more and have some more illustrations. Um, oh, I had more Memorial Park, didn't I? So there we are. Uh, but um, one of my favourite moments is, is seeing my kids learn to cycle. And I remember one of my children, um, they sat on the bike, they weren't going anywhere, and they were refusing to go somewhere. And so I got them by the handlebar and gradually put my hand behind their back and pushed them along. And then after they got their balance, I was able to take my hand off the handlebar and then push them uh, along and, you know, steadily going faster and faster. And I remember uh, my, this child who did this would turn around to me and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm cycling, I'm cycling. Uh, and what did I say at that point? I didn't say, well, no, you're not. I've got my hand right behind you. It's actually all my work. <laughs> that would have been pretty cruel. Um, no, I go, yes, of course, you are. Well done. Great work. Now stop. I'm out of breath. Uh, that kind of thing. <laughs> And it's kind of like that. that We're not left alone to kind of, you know, God's justified us, he's made us right, and now we kind of pedal under our own steam that actually by his spirit, he is changing us. He's working with the grain so that when we try uh, to to live differently, uh, he's helping us. Uh, He's with us. 
Now, of course, that's not without stumbling. We do fall off the bike. And that's why we need to hear both those ideas. That actually is a challenge there, isn't there? To not let not sin reign in our mortal bodies, but also to know that actually in Christ we're made holy. How do we help Joey? How do we help ourselves? Well, three things. First of all, remember union. Don't think of ourselves as isolated individuals. And if there's one thing off these four hours we've spent, it's that one thing. Think of the plane. Think that we're in Christ. We're not isolated individuals. Secondly, remember our identity. And I'm so glad we picked up on this, that actually Joey, if he's in Christ, he's already sanctified. Actually, when he makes these, uh, when he does these things, he's, he's going against his true nature, which is that he is in Christ. And for me, that changes an awful lot. It's not me trying to become a sort of new rob under my own steam. It's actually, when I sin, I'm becoming uh, less of who I truly am. And remember, thirdly, there is progress. We are to grow up into the head. We are to abide in uh, Paul doesn't, uh, you know, God doesn't put these commandments in the Bible to kind of set us up to fail, but actually there is progress as we try, as we push into being who God has made us to be. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? As we, and I, I do see lots of examples of this in the church of people with all their unique features of their personality become like Christ, uh, to become sacrificial like him. I've seen that with friends. I've seen people change in astounding ways and wouldn't it be wonderful to 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 see that across our church family and beyond in our town as well i think we'll take some questions let's pause there and then then we're going to pray for those things but woody great thanks for your questions coming in um the top voted question are you on Sorry. Thanks for your questions coming in. Uh, the top voted question is a comment that the plane is an Airbus A320neo. Is that correct? It is a 320. I've got no idea what the Neo is, but it's we a 320. Well done. Well, congratulations. Uh, prizes afterwards, more cake, I think. <laughs> um, let's go with the upvotes. It's always a 320, I think. Sorry. Yeah, anyway. Sorry, that's not <laughs> is there any other version? Um, let's go with the upvotes. Commenting on John chapter 15, verse 6, we are holy as we're united with Christ, but Jesus warns that if we do not remain in him, we become like a branch that is thrown away. So is Karen right to be anxious? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Someone asked me about something similar. I said, we're going to have to do a whole evening on this topic. Um, So short answer is, no, if you trust Christ... There's no reason to be anxious. Um, I think lots of the warnings in scriptures are given with the idea that we'd be crazy to do it. So they're not, they're not put there to spook Christians. They're there to show us how ridiculous it would be to forsake Christ. And I think there are real warnings, of course, uh, but they're there primarily, I think, to go, of course, we wouldn't do that. It'd be crazy. Um, so, you know, if I... If I um, drink a bottle of whiskey and drive home, I'm going to wreck my job and my career. I don't know what I'm thinking about, but, you know, I'd, you know, wreck the car. Of course, I'd never think of doing that, and it's that kind of sense. Yeah. yeah. Helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
A couple of ones picking up from the first half. Uh, if we are condemned because we are in Christ, does that not imply that Christ did something to warrant being <coughs> condemned? No, I don't think it does imply that because I think um, what we're saying, so that 2 Corinthians 5.21 verse, very helpful because he who had no sin, so he was completely right, righteous, became sin. So he takes on our sin and actually we take on his righteousness. So yes, he was condemned. Yes, we're condemned as in the punishment that our sin deserves is taken in him but I don't think that necessarily implies um, that he did anything worthy of condemnation. In fact, I think the whole New Testament, the point is making the point that despite the fact he didn't need that, uh, didn't deserve that, he took it on himself. So 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Yeah, great, really helpful. Um, and then, again, from the first session, sounds like there's two righteousnesses going on here. Is there righteousness either by the law or righteousness by Christ? Uh, not quite sure I know what's being got. Sorry, I'm reacting in real time to a lot of these. Um, I'm not quite sure um, what that means. I think um, there's only one, the Bible teaches, uh, the Romans teaches, there's only one righteousness, and that's by Christ. And the point Paul makes in that section is that even the law was pointing forward to Christ. So it wasn't that God changed his mind and said, I'll go do a law system now, and then I'll do a Christ system. Actually, the law was meant to point people and teach people that actually righteousness can only be through Christ. And shows us our need of Christ by showing how we fall short. Exactly. The law is like a mirror that shows up yeah. our true, true self. Great. Um, one just come in. Is it somewhat helpful to think of ourselves as partly still in Adam so as to account for, rationalize our continued sin? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Um, there's a lot I could say on that. I think, I think Paul does do that in chapter 7 of Romans. Um, so I think, and, and Galatians uh, 5, that I think he says that actually we, we have this new battle within us, that the old nature, we are transformed, we are in Christ, but actually the old self, or the flesh he calls it, is, is fighting against that. Which is one of the astounding things, that actually, for Joey, I would encourage him, the very fact he's having the battle is a sign of God's grace and the Spirit's work in his life. Um, I, there was a lot of things I didn't care about before I was a Christian. You know, things like greed or anger or envy, you know, that suddenly became things I'm worried about now. And that was an encouragement for me to think, actually, because of that battle, actually, I'm, I'm being transformed. Mm. And the worry would be if you didn't care yes. about your sin. You just continued in yes. it. Yeah, yeah. They're the people who worry me. Yeah. 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 Great. Um, going more into Tom Wright's view could probably be not just one more evening, but a few more evenings. Yes. So let's, shall we leave that? And if you are interested, then do come and grab Rob. Yeah, a, please do. For a, few, <laughs> for a few evenings and a few. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's drinks. written a lot. Let me pray as we stand. God made him that is Jesus Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father God, thank you so much for the wonderful truth that in Jesus dying on the cross for us, it means that it, you look at us just as if I'd never sinned. You look at us just as if I've always obeyed. And so we are holy, 
because you have made us holy and you promise to continue to work in us so that we become more and more like Christ every single day. May we hold on to that truth every single day, keeping on trusting in Christ, following him, and knowing that you will take us to be with him in glory. And may we continue to encourage one another with those truths for as long as we live. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Do take a seat there.